Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Geraint Jones. Happy to be with you guys with one of the most requested guests. Um, every now and again, I'll ask you guys who you want on the show. And this guy's name kept on coming up over and over again. Um, I listened to him on the Joe Rogan. Uh, I listened to him on the Joe Rogan podcast a couple of times. Um, and I really wanted to have him on myself. So I'm very grateful to him. As soon as I reached out, he was uh, he was all over it about coming onto the show, and he's uh, he's highly in demand. So I really appreciate him giving his time for us to learn from him today. I'm going to read you his bio because it's some um, impressive stuff, and I don't want to miss anything out. For over a decade, Ed Calderon worked in the fields of counter narcotics, organized crime investigation, and public safety in the northern border region of Mexico. During this period, he also coordinated and worked executive protection details for high-level government officials and visiting dignitaries, often in some of the most dangerous parts of the country. Ed Calderon's study in the indigenous Mexican criminal culture, from occult practices to endemic modus operandi, have led to him to be recognised as one of the world's preeminent researchers and trainers in the field of personal security that have come out of Mexico. Ed has had the privilege of sharing his expertise with members of federal law enforcement agencies, including the FBI and BORTAC, Navy SEALs, Indonesian Kopaska, Mexican and United States intelligence service agents, and members of the special forces groups from all over the world. Currently, Ed travels North America doing security consulting and conducting seminars and private training courses in anti-abduction, escapology, unarmed combat, region-specific executive protection work, and unconventional edge weapons work. Well, fuck me. I'm exhausted just having read that. Ed must have the uh, like the energy of a fucking Duracell bunny to get all that done. Uh, he's a really funny bloke. Like, I, we're, he's one of those guys where like I just think like you know black humor that we have as veterans. It's just common to all kinds of like if you're a doctor, if you're a cop, you know, if you you just you have to develop this dark humor to get through. And uh, I really enjoy um, Ed's page at Ed's Manifesto online. Um, He's got re- he's got a really good dry sense of humour, and um, I really enjoyed the conversation with it today. It just it was one of those that absolutely flew by. I really hope we can have Ed back on in the future, and uh, hopefully I'll catch him in person as well for Margarita at some point. Um, but you know what? Let's just get to him. Please give a warm welcome to Mr. Ed Calderon. Ed, welcome to the podcast, mate. Thanks for coming. Thank you guys for inviting me. Um, I know a lot of our followers will already know who you are because you are one of the most requested people that we've had whenever we've uh, opened up and asked people, who um, asked the guests who we want to get onto the show. Uh, for those that don't know, can you just tell people a little about where you're from and what you do? Yeah, uh, I, I was born in Tijuana, Mexico. Uh, I did about 12 years of uh, counter narcotics and, and, and police work in Mexico. Uh, I was also a bodyguard for a while before uh, a governor and for a uh, one of the directors of the police down in Mexico. Um, spent uh, spent the majority of that time, uh, you know, in the midst of it uh, during the the the, uh, the beginning parts of the whole Mexican drug war. Um, kind of uh, became an instructor in the process uh, to train some of my own people that turned into training civilians and you know, after a while uh, the the, uh, the job and the, the the crisis in Mexico kind of pushed me into uh, quitting the job and, uh, and and moving myself and my family to the US mm-hmm. um, I've been doing training on the U.S. side with, uh, you know, uh, 
people from the FBI, uh, uh, Homeland Security, uh, a few a few uh, special forces units, and, and then the like, as far as uh, exposing current criminal methodologies, as far as abduction, uh, you know, robbery, um, uh, uh, counter custody type uh, training, uh, all of it kind of sourced directly from uh, some of the criminals that I had to go up against in Mexico. And I've been doing that and, and doing cl- uh, classes for a civilian market and just uh, just basically kind of uh, learning how to how to kind of uh, become an American for the past two years, two, two three years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a skill. Uh, dude, we've got so much that I want to uh, ask you, but I, I want to know a, a bit more about your childhood to begin with. Was it? Did you have a, a happy childhood? Or, and what was it growing up like in Mexico um, at the time where you were a kid? Was it quite different to how it is now? Yeah, I grew up in, I'm, I'm an 80s kid, early 90s kid. You know, I was, I was born in 82. Uh, back then, Tijuana, I always get a kick out of telling people that I'm from Tijuana. People always look back at it like, you're from Tijuana, right? It's like a legendary mythical place of donkey shows and <laughs> and, uh, and 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 table dancing and all that shit but uh, um, it's it's a, it was actually a pretty good place to grow up uh, a lot of Americans like to tout themselves as living in the land of freedom uh, most of those people have never had a childhood in places like Mexico probably where mm-hmm. true freedom is you know uh, the the amount of fuckery we would get into as uh, as kids and just the uh, the lack of rules in a place like uh, Mexico was a pretty interesting and fun place to grow up. Um, after after a few after after the a few situations happened back in the you know mid nineties, uh, things shifted you know, c- culturally. Okay, Nar- uh, narco cartel wars started being a thing at a national scale. So, you know, some of that, some of my, my, uh, a lot of the kids that I grew up with, uh, saw the downturn in the economic, uh, the economic situation in, in, in Mexico. Uh, and, uh, they went into, uh, other means of work. Uh, you know, uh, 9-11 happened during, during my time studying medicine. I was at, uh, I was in the university studying medicine. I was on my second year. I was kind of pay- paying for my own schooling. Uh, this was during 9-11. After that happened, they closed the borders, and basically uh, most of the economy was fucked, and all of the guys, um, I mean, I was I was out of options. A lot of my friends went uh, into work uh, with cartel groups, you know, that younger generation that I, that I was a part of. Uh, some of the kids that I grew up uh, with skateboarding and, you know, um, they, they all kind of, a lot of them actually went into work for some of these cartels and I went, uh, completely the opposite <laughs> route. And, uh, you know, it was kind of surreal seeing them after, like on the other side of that conflict. So like, what, what were you wanting to be when you grew up there? A doctor? Yeah. I mean, my, my mom was a nurse and, uh, more than a nurse, she was kind of like the, uh, you know, the local healer, uh, all the uh, all the neighbors came by to get an injection done, or you know somebody got uh, somebody got uh, some pills, and they're not sure about them, so they come and ask my mom. Uh, she was kind of a she was kind of a really big role model when I grew up. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, she would uh, any car accident that happened, she would stop and help. 
I was, I was, uh, I, I always like the, I like the, the concept or the ability to be useful or be an asset. I learned that from my mom. And, uh, when I grew when I, when I, when I grew up, I, I wanted to, to, to do that. And, you know, I thought, thought medicine might, might, might be the, uh, the option. Um, it was, uh, too rich for my blood and too rich for the time that I was living in, sadly. I think, um, that what you said about these stopping at car accidents and stuff is that that's a real test of someone's character. I think um, if someone is is going to stop, I remember I was, I was living in it with a guy once and there was a car accident and I stopped the car and he wouldn't come over to the car because he was worried about what he'd see and stuff. And I I could never be friends with him really after that because you know it's just I I think it's a real test of 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 character and sounds like your mum was like you said a strong role model. What are the well what if you could break down some of the kind of the qualities that you thought were important when you were growing up? Like, what, what did you kind of aspire to be in terms of, in terms of qualities of character? Well, I, I grew up in a weird uh, cross-cultural uh, space. So Tijuana is basically the corner of the Latin world. And we, most of the TV that we see on, that we, that we would grow up with was American TV. So right. a lot of that programming came into my mind, you know. <laughs> I used to. I grew up on watching GI Joe and He Man. So, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, so some of that program kind of got into my head. Uh, but uh, it was. It, it, so I grew up. I, uh, my parents were kind of weird in, in, in that. Uh, my father is. Uh, he's, he's still with us. Uh, he is the biggest pacifist I've ever met. Um, <laughs> he's never raised a hand in anger. Uh, he is political. Uh, he avoids conflict. He, he figure out. He, he's always been able to figure out how to get around it. Right. Mm. My mom, on the other hand, uh, she was a every everything uh, everything but a pacifist. Uh, she she would always uh, she would always uh, she would always push me to intervene. Uh, she would always uh, make me go and do volunteer work uh, through the church so I could see how the other half lived. Um, uh, she was very, uh, she was a devout Catholic. So that, that was also kind of in my background. Um, you know, as far as role models and, 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 and things that I aspired to do, I think most of that was formed by, uh, by having some of those interactions. I used to go and feed some of the migrants, uh, that would try and cross the border or that were deported. Right. Uh, so there's a, there's a Tijuana, uh, Tijuana has a river going, through it in the middle part of the city. Uh, so I'd go out there and hand out bread and hot uh, coffee and chocolate with my mom um, to some of the, uh, to some of the migrants there. Most of them were heroin addicts. Mm. So I got to see, I got to see who I would later in life be told that was the enemy. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So later in life, I got to work in environments where some of the people that I was working against were drug addicts. Uh, some of the cartel guys were, you know, using. And they, 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 we, we were, uh, during training, we were programmed to dehumanize them. But I kept going back to seeing them uh, getting, getting, uh, getting uh, free socks, underwear, bread, and coffee, and basically almost kissing the ground that my mom would walk on. Um, so that kind of, that, that, that specific experience kind of really changed my outlook, uh, when I, when I went out there, not as a helper, but as a, uh, 
Yeah. Sort of as a, uh, you know, a force of, uh, a force of destructive change. Well, that's a great way of looking at it, though, because if we look at the names that we have, you know, when you're growing up as a kid, you for say heroin addicts, you know, they're junkies, they're smackheads, you know, that like you dehumanize them without even knowing about it as a child. Um, you never think like, well, why is this person there? That kid might have been like, they might have been raped as a kid. And, you know, they got into drugs because it was the only way they could have as coping, you know, but you, you don't, you don't learn that as a kid growing up. And a lot of people never learn that lesson as an adult either. You just look at them and go, well, why the fuck can't they get their act together? One of my, uh, and that's probably Catholic in me, you know, I was, <laughs> guilt is, is kind of built into our minds, I think, at an early age. Uh, my, uh, I've always, I, I was always taught to listen, you know. Uh, usually, usually a lot of, a lot of people don't have the, uh, the, the ability to shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an art form. If you, if you know how to do it, usually people will let you know certain things if you just shut up and listen. Um, one time I was crossing the border into San Diego and, uh, I remember seeing this man who was kneeling on the ground, um, in a, a prayer position, you know, think of how some of the Muslims prayers, prayer, uh, pray to Mecca, mm-hmm. kind of that position. And, uh, it would pass it by, kept, uh, you know, they gave him a white berth and he would walk around them. And I took a knee and I kind of slid a few dollars underneath him. Uh, he grabbed the dollars and, and kicked and kind of, you know, pushed them away, which was pretty interesting. Um, he kept repeating to himself uh, a prayer about uh, uh, asking God to give him back his family, give him back his life. And he swears he wouldn't make the same mistakes again. Right? You know that hit me like a sack of bricks. Um, and uh, you know when when I uh, when I and it brought me back to that moment uh, on the uh, Tijuana River estuary area where we would uh, feed some of these people. Um, we have a tendency to dehumanize them, uh, and then I mean, we were like, "Why? Why don't they just, you know, stop doing it? It's yeah. easy. Why don't I just get a job and shit like that?" And later on in life, I find I found out what, why that wasn't as easy as it sounds. Right? How some of us get sometimes locked in a cage with a door with the door when the, with the door open to it. Um, Mm-hmm. but uh yeah i mean it, it's it's a it's definitely a it's 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 definitely an interesting an interesting thing that i noticed with most of the people that i work with how they would uh they would be programmed from uh training and you know i was part of that uh training myself so they they try to program me into dehumanizing what they perceive to be the enemy to get us to do things that you know probably i mean I think it's true for every anybody that's uh, gone to war in any way, shape, or form. Like I see some of that with some of my American friends, uh, how they get, uh, how they got taught to dehumanize some of the people they went after in uh, the Middle East. Absolutely, dude, and that's one of the problems. Is like um, I do think, you know, I have my issues with the British Army. I think one of the ways that we, I think we ha- we've hit a good balance between dehumanizing the bad guys enough, but not the locals. Um, and when I talk to some of my American friends that served in Iraq, for instance. Um, they were, it seems that they saw the locals as the enemy rather than the Al-Qaeda who were amongst them as the enemy. And when you hear about, you know, 
guys being okay with just shooting people after curfew. Right? It's like, hey, he was out. He was, you know, he was out after curfew. Fuck him. It's like, wait, wow. How did you get? How did you get there? You know, because they dehumanized them. Yeah. I, I just want to ask you because I've been to San Diego a few times. One of my favorite cities. It must be must be like. Is it kind of crazy to have like this? you know like a very rich city on one side of a border and then tijuana with what one of the highest death rates in the world on the other side of it it's uh, uh when i worked when i was active tijuana was the most dangerous city on the planet hmm. so i so i so i i got to tell people that i worked in the most dangerous city on the planet doing one of the most dangerous jobs on the planet at the same you know i uh, i got to i got to experience that and on the weekends, I would cross into San Diego and just relax in one of the, you know, in one of the richest economies in the world. Yeah. Uh, and I would see people do things like uh, walking out of a market with their, uh, with their windows down. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> I would see, I would see the cops getting called because somebody was washing their car, uh, and 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 the water was spilling into the uh, into the uh, driveway. Wow. Right, so it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it, it was pretty surreal. Yeah, um, it, 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 and also surreal just to, you know, every now and then I would stand, uh, I would, I would, uh, I would drive uh, over to uh, the road to Playas de Tijuana, which are the Tijuana beaches, beach area, and there's a there's a spot in a place called El Mirador, which means the the lookout uh, point, and you can you can basically stand there and see. The border wall going 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 through both of the cities and you can see you know everything kind of clean and or and, and organized on one side and on the other side it looks like somebody with a uh, with a seizure uh, basically drew these plans to the city right uh and and, and uh you know it, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh it's an interesting place and also the the, the interesting other part of it is that 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 wall uh, doesn't uh, doesn't uh, doesn't get rid of the fact that uh, that both cities depend on each other in a big way. Mm. The economies are completely intertwined. Uh, families uh, live on both sides of the border. Um, you know, you want to learn the trick to the matrix as far as uh, money goes. Uh, work in San Diego and live in Tijuana. You know, um, an apartment in San Diego, one room will cost you upwards of a thousand two hundred to a thousand five hundred dollars a month. A luxury apartment in Tijuana will cost you five hundred dollars a month. So <laughs> a lot of people learn that uh, learn that trick, and that's why there's uh, two three hour border waits every day. You know, people move back move back and forth between the cities. Uh, you know, it's it's an interesting it's a, it's an interesting place. Like I wouldn't trade my hometown as far as having grown up there or anything uh despite all of it despite all was all of its fault despite all the experiences that i had there um it's uh you know we have a we have a haitian uh, immigrant population there uh, just japanese people chinese uh americans uh there's people from all over the world that basically went to tijuana to try to make it up there to san diego and to stay you know, it's it's an interesting place. I was looking up um, 
can't remember why I, I was looking. Oh yeah, it was just, I was looking up the other rate what, what the kind of like the the rates were because I saw an article about how it been recently they've been the most uh, violent month on record. I think wasn't it? And uh, Tijuana was at the top with over two thousand murders in the year last year. And um, I was thinking like that is that localized to a t- couple of neighborhoods like you know so in chicago you've got a few neighborhoods account for like most of the violence right is that the same kind of thing in tijuana uh, no it's uh, it's spread out uh, so most of that violence most of those murders are basically one cartel trying to eliminate the ability for the other one to make money locally so tijuana is currently in a power struggle between two of the largest cartels in Mexico and probably the world, uh, the one of them is the New Generation Cartel uh, out of Jalisco, run by a man called El Mencho, a former uh, a former state police officer from down, from down uh, down south, um, who is uh, who is completely he's a he, he he's heading up this cartel that is a completely different uh, breed of cartel, new phenomenon type cartel. And he's going after the Sinaloa cartel, which is what classically everybody out there in the world thinks of when they think about cartels. You know, the uh, Sinaloa guys wearing the expensive clothes, and driving the fast cars and wearing all the gold and stuff like that. So uh, both of these cartels are vying for power in Tijuana, which is one of the richest drug routes on the planet, if not the richest drug route on the planet. Uh you, you talk about a comparison between both of these cartels. The Sinaloa cartel is old school cartel that has ties, political ties throughout the country on both sides of the border, even in the U.S. Um, and it's a cartel that, that thrives in traditionalism. It thrives on uh, paying paying the locals and being part of the local economy. It's a different type of cartel. Mm. Uh, the new, new generation cartel is a militarized cartel. They are a military operation. They're not into. The, they're not about the lifestyle. They're not about the uh, fast cars and the jewelry. They will go into an area and murder the competition. Mm. Right. So that's what you're seeing in Tijuana and Guanajuato and a lot of other cities. Uh, in Tijuana specifically, they're basically going after each other's ability to 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 make money locally. One thing that people don't think about as far as the cartels. Is that they actually are making money in Mexico as well as uh, making money by crossing drugs into the U.S. Right. So there's a uh, sales point, sales points all over the city in Tijuana where people buy cocaine, heroin, methamphetamines, uh, and the hair, uh, heroin laced with fentanyl, uh, even pot. Right. So all these little stores are manned by somebody that works either for the Sinaloa cartel or the new generation cartel. So every night there's a death squad that, that rolls around Tijuana uh, on each side of the, uh, the conflict and they kill the distributors. That's why you're seeing these record-breaking numbers right now. So the new generation cartel, I think I saw you post a video um, about those guys recently where it was just a convoy of camouflage vehicle after camouflage vehicle, and the guys were wearing camouflage fatigues, they had body armor, um, they were quite standardized in the weapons. Um, is is that something then, is that becoming the norm, or are they still are they, they still kind of the exception in the cartels that they're operating that way, like a paramilitary? Well, they're, 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 the, uh, they're, they're probably the biggest cartel right now in Mexico. 
when it comes to numbers. I mean, they're just, they recruit like, uh, like crazy. Um, and a lot of the people they recruit are former police officers, military guys. A lot of the people that I used to work with, uh, the office that I used to work with was uh, defunct. Uh, the name was changed and a lot of these people went out of the job. A lot of them didn't have the opportunity that I had. A lot of them had high levels of training, you know. A lot of them are, were trained by NSW, Naval Special Warfare, uh, in the U.S. So the SEALs. Yeah, a lot of them had that type of training. A lot of them had the, just the experience uh, that I had as well. You know, if anything, I sell my experience. When I go to the U.S. and, and, and drop some uh, jaws in the ground with some of the weird shit that I know, it's because it comes from some of the experience that I had. So a lot of these guys are products of experience, and they took their experience and they're working for the new generation cartel right now. So, so imagine, imagine that what that does to a group like that. It basically augments their ability to do what they do. Um, when you see that video and all these guys dressed in their uh, fatigues and kind of a standardized uniform, people need to realize. Everybody, every every now and then, I post those videos up and they comment. Well, they, the government should just do an airstrike. <laughs> Mexico doesn't have much of an air force mm. even if they were to send a few helicopters there the new generation cartel has the distinction of being one of the only cartels in mexico that has down gunships mm. right and they and when they talk about controlling their area they control the whole state uh and the reason why the military doesn't go after them is because the population is on the side of the cartels not the military and there's no way they can get close so it's 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 a complicated situation, dude. I uh, you mentioned the comments there. Sometimes I'll flick through comments on a pages like a page like yours, just kind of for entertainment. <laughs> like, like, oh, sorry, yeah, we didn't think about that. Like, we, we we you know we didn't think about that tactic. Like, yeah, no problem. Drug war solved. Well, my my favorite my favorite one is that uh, you should we should we should send the military in there. They'll be done with it. They'll be done with those cartels. Well, that's what happened in Afghanistan, right? <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> And I always comment back, uh, uh, you know, laughs in in uh, in, uh, in uh, Taliban peace accord, right? <laughs> because it's, I mean, there's there's a tendency that a lot of people have to think it's, yeah, just send some cruise send some cruise missiles, and we'll send the, 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 the whoever, and they'll eliminate that threat really quickly. Yeah. Well, they they don't they don't realize that. Well, one. You send uh, you send the military, the U.S. military, into Mexico. You're going to create the biggest immigrant crisis that the world has ever seen. The, the, this will dwarf what you saw out of Syria. One, two, uh, the health crisis created by the lack of drugs going into the U.S. when when uh, when supply chain is is interrupted from the cartels moving drugs into the U.S. Mm. I'd like to. I'd like to sit on how they're going to deal with that one. And uh, three, this isn't. Uh, there's no ocean separating the country that you're about to invade. It's not overseas. You don't fly to it. It's right next door, and in a lot of ways, is in. It's in your back door. Uh, I mean, some of these cartel guys, you know, Old Chapo, for example, his two daughters were born in the U.S. So. <laughs> so I don't. A lot of people want to make it sound as easy as you know, just legalize everything and send the, the U.S. Marines down there. Yeah, uh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a lot. 
on both sides. Yeah, the thing is, dude, like, this is the thing, like, no offense to Americans, but they, the American people haven't suffered at war. Um, you know, like, I'll put, so I'm, you know, I'm in my hometown right now, my home village. There's bomb craters and wreckage of bombers around here from the Second World War. You know, my grandma saw bombers dropping bombs on, on a house, you know, and all that. Like, British people, uh, people in France, people in Belgium, they, they, there's graveyards full of civilians and military that died in the wars. You know, the towns were flattened. America's never had that since the Civil War. Which and you know America wasn't America at that time either. That's an interesting point, you know, and, so, and it's something I always kind of mention when I'm talking to some of uh, my friends that are you know, veterans on the U.S. side. Uh, the war I fought was in my hometown and 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 in my home country with people that spoke the same language that I did, that went to the same churches. Sometimes the burials of our guys and their guys would be in the same funerary service. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, and I tell them like, uh, you, you, I was, I call Mexico the upside down as a way to try and communicate that shit is, isn't nor- the normal, the U S normal isn't, it, it doesn't, doesn't mean anything in Mexico. Um, and it, it's true. They, the U S hasn't really faced the conflict within its borders, uh, of a close nature as other parts of the world. I mean, they've never, we can talk about 9-11 and some of the domestic terrorism that's happened out there, some of the social uh, strife currently kind of going on, going on. Uh, but they've never experienced, uh, you know, this, this true carnage that's going on right across the, right across the border. Um, I mean, there's thousands of people are missing. Um, morgues are full and they're using refrigerated trucks to have bodies outside. And this isn't, this is before COVID, right? I remember this whole conversation about having refrigerated trucks in New York for COVID. And isn't this horrible, Ed? It was like, yeah, it is horrible, but that's not the first time I've heard somebody do that. Yeah. Because we've been doing it for a long while. And guess what? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't because of COVID. It was because of, uh, just massive amounts of people getting killed. Yeah, dude. Something else, something else about the this idea that America could go in as well is, you know, like let's say Camp Pendleton, for instance, which is just outside, um, you know, just north of San Diego. There's military families everywhere there. People could you could just start killing mil- military families. You know, it wouldn't be a conventional war. So we're not so like like you know, there's no way America doesn't deal well. Western countries in general don't deal well with losing soldiers, let alone if. You know, like we had, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the IRA uh, over here in, in Britain. I'm very familiar with the IRA because it's uh, a lot of people don't know, but the whole IRA, uh, the troubles, as you as you guys call them, mm-hmm. that was case study 101 when it came time to work against cartels in the northern, nor- northwestern part of Mexico. Yeah, that's interesting. That was, that was, uh, that, that was our... Case study 101, uh, because I think out of all the recent conflicts that uh, in our in our history, that one has a lot to a lot to show us as far as uh, some of the urban urban guerrilla type uh, situation going on in Mexico. So, just wanted to put that one out there because it it's, it is something that we and I personally really studied a lot. Yeah, and we lost more troops there than we did in Afghanistan. You know, um, which is kind of crazy. It's 
But like the you know the thing that would be similar if America entered ever into the Mexico is you'd be talking about people getting killed in their driveways, families like service members, families killed in their driveways. It would totally change the face of how American service. You wouldn't you wouldn't go around telling people you were in the service anymore because that would no. you'd be getting you'd be getting fucking killed. Um, I, I, I'm invited. I, I get invited every now and then to do you know classes, uh, talks on. Cartel cartel modus is what I call it. Basically, how how they how they operate, uh, and every now and then I do this I do this exercise, which is basically a find me exercise. Um, all I need is a all I need is two people with phones, and uh, I need a few pictures of you, and that's it. You know, I can I can find you, right? Jesus. And it's it's something we used to do to look for cartel guys and we learned it from some cartel guys right so uh interesting example of this there was a guy that we had who was an online ninja you know had no digital footprint at all um but he was wearing a uh, he was wearing a very interesting t-shirt and he also had his uh, military service written all over his body all right. um so and he, this is a guy that had a few million dollars worth of uh, U.S. government training, high-level guy. Uh, through his T-shirt and one of his tattoos, we found out exactly where he was from. Wow. We went to the, we went through the we went to the company uh, uh, that was uh, the company that did the T-shirt. Went through the comments and went through the pictures and found somebody that matched his body type with a very cool set of nods and a rifle with face blurred out. Went through the comments, and one of the comments said, "Hey, this is what I have for dinner every night, ladies." And we found her, his wife. We found uh, his kids. Oh my God! We found the bank that he, uh, that the wife goes to, and then uh, death and taxes are inescapable. And if you want to find somebody in the U.S., you can use taxes. So we found out where he lived. Uh, we found all these things out within the span of about ten minutes. Right. So. The whole, uh, I think, the concept of being unreachable will will go out the window if if you if the U.S. decides to uh, kick that beehive that is right next door. And I think, you know, I th- I think uh, some people talk a big game online about it, uh, but you only have to go and see what happened in Sonora in the desert. Uh, Women, uh, American women and children were killed by a cartel group in the desert uh, in Sonora. Uh, the media kept calling them this Mormon cult or this, these Mormons, right? To not say that they, because, but all of them had American passports or American. Yeah. Uh, actually had dual citizenship, but they had American passports. Uh, one of them was an infant. Uh, a few of them were kids. A lot of, uh, uh, most of the, uh, the women uh, that were shot in the desert. And somehow that doesn't uh, the the whole terrorist designation thing was used as leverage, but they weren't designated as terrorists, right? Now people will argue, well, Ed, they're not terrorists because they don't have a clear political motive uh, motivation. They don't def- they don't meet the definition. Um, Mexico has one of the highest rates of political killings on the planet. One. And then they're all called cartel related. So obviously these cartels have political motivation if they're killing uh, candidates and if they're killing politicians. One, mm. two, uh, you know the 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 whole concept of them not uh, 
uh, you know, not having a, a, a clear objective uh, as the like uh, or or po po policy. Uh, some of these people basically govern whole parts of whole parts of Mexico. Yeah. So, so they're clearly they're, they're, they're clearly political motivated. They clearly need uh, things happen happening in a certain way for their objectives to to move forward. And finally, the, again, uh, we have one of the largest, uh, also biggest. Uh, murder rates as far as uh, press members go. Mm. So people want to keep things quiet. People don't want things to be found out. I mean, they meet all the classical definitions of a terrorist group. I mean, I, I, I'm certain the IRA is considered a terrorist group on an international level. And seeing how they, how they, uh, how they work and how they moved about in, in, in their operations, the, the, the cartels do have, have been doing kind of the same thing. Right. Yeah. The only difference is that they're not very fond of explosives. Other than that, they meet most of the same definitions. And when you talk about a body count and just the horrific things they do, I think I think the cartels have a lot of uh, a lot of these uh, so-called terrorist groups out there beat by a long shot. The other thing as well is that, you know, they they build roads. They put people through college. You know, they give they give money and, and presents to the local community. That's not just business. That's out. That you know. Well, I mean, it is a part of business, but that's what government is at the end of the day. The government's a fucking business. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's politics. Yeah, it's politics. That they're, they're, they have a they have a. Some of them have ideologies. You know, if uh, if one of if somebody out there, I think the problem with with the problem, the main problem the U.S. has is it has a uh, a very narrow view of what terrorism could be. You know, for, for, you know, people say terrorism. And they think of a single religion. They think of a single uh, a single area of the globe where most of these people will come from, and they think about nine eleven probably. You know that's a trauma yeah. there, uh, but they don't think about Timothy McVeigh. You know they don't think about the Oklahoma bombing. Uh, they don't think about domestic terrorism, and they don't think about narco terrorism, which is killing more people on the U.S. side and the Mexican side through the drugs they put into the country. And most of these terrorist acts that have uh, have uh, gotten to their borders in the last uh, last few decades. Well, let me ask you this, Ed: If, say, the new generation cartel, for example, are controlling an area and they're building roads and they're they're employing people and they're um, giving people money to go to college, um, if they're doing that stuff, what is the argument that people are better off with the government? Because the government's not exactly got clean hands either, have they? So what's the what's the argument that they're better off having the government? To be certain and to be sure, uh, one of the things I always tell people is that I quit working for the government not because uh, not because I thought I, I would have a better shot or opportunity just uh, working in the private sector. I quit for, I quit working for the government because I've over the years and looking at it both from the ground as an agent and at some high levels when I worked uh, in some political circles, it's the political system down there is complete garbage. I mean, it's corrupt at its core. So I don't think it's a competition between wah, the car, the cartels and the, and, and the government. There's the same thing. Mm. They're the, they're the, uh, it's, it's the tail and the head of a snake. Um, so that's one thing to kind of uh, to kind of be clear about. Uh, Mexico has a an ongoing problem with uh, amnesia. Every six years, uh, we elect a different president. They come, they come in and they 
basically start from ground uh, from zero. Um, and uh, everything that worked doesn't matter. Everything that didn't work doesn't matter. Sounds familiar. Uh, so, yeah. So, so an example of this, we currently currently have a populist leftist uh, open open pro Maduro pro uh, Chavista president in Mexico, which is is is, is an extreme, right? He's a complete extreme. His whole drug counter narcotics policy was: there is no drug war. Uh, we'll give amnesty to the cartels, and uh, abrazos no balazos, which means hugs, not bullets. That's that was his policy against the cartel. Mm, did you get that burning, man? <laughs> well, I mean, you probably burned something to come up with that shit. <laughs> um, yeah. So his main political rival was a to the completely opposite side of the political spectrum in Mexico, a man called Felipe Calderon, which was the guy that basically kicked off the official drug war in Mexico. Conservative president uh, to, took the army into the fight, basically militarized the, the war on drugs. And this guy, this current president, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, said he would not do any of that shit. He's like, no, the military needs to you know, be the military. The cops need to do what the cops do and everything like that. And currently, he basically militarized the whole thing. So he's doing exactly the same thing that the his main political rival did, which is basically militarize a drug war and put a bunch of soldiers into the front lines of what clearly is beyond their capabilities and ha what has been beyond their capability to control and manage for the past almost 20 years. Um, so basically Mexico has been, uh, Mexico has been trying to kill the kill a, a tiger with a rat trap in the same way for the past two years of uh, 20, 30 years. And the Americans pay for that rat trap with their taxes. Uh, through a uh, through a thing called uh, Plata, uh, uh, the Merida Initiative, which is like a transnational uh, agreement with the U.S. and Mexico that basically outsources the drug war to Mexico. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's I was part of it, so I was so I I, I just I, I view it as a completely retarded thing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's interesting how how this uh, cycle just basically I was called the uh, the feathered serpent uh, biting its tail, you know, it's just an ongoing cycle of mm. this, the, the same, the same way of fighting the same problem. And last year was the most bloody year in our history as far as Mexico goes. So nothing, none of that shit is working. Just to give the listeners some context, I started to get interested in Mexico, um, probably about 2009, actually, because when I was in Afghanistan, you know, I did a lot of reading and I was like, fuck, this place is as dangerous as Afghanistan. Why is nobody talking about it? And I always find it expect like I always find things interesting when it's like something like that's going on. I'm like, hang on, America is obsessed with Iraq and Afghanistan. They've got this going on on the doorstep. Why is nobody talking about it? Um, and just so the listeners get some uh, context, I I started getting my my hands on whatever books I could find, and it was 
it seemed to me very much like Iraq or Syria, where it's just the more you look into it, the less sense it makes, right? And it's like a fucking, it's like all, it's like a, it's like a bowl of fucking spaghetti. You're trying to follow one end and you're just getting a different end. And um, all I can say is that uh, ten years later, it just seems to have become more complicated again. It just seems to be get, like just duplicating and complicating us every year. The complicatedness, I don't know if that's a word, but you know, uh, you get what I mean. Yeah, it's 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 a problem that has festered for years, and uh, right now it's being exacerbated by Mexico's strategic place in the world. Uh, so Mexico has the biggest mineable lithium deposits on the planet right now. Right. Uh, co- coincidentally, near where the uh, where these uh, this, um, these American women and children were killed. Uh, and it's also it's also the uh, the place where a lot of the fentanyl that goes into the United States comes through and is fabricated, and it's usually, if not exclusively, from a Chinese source. Interesting, right? So people will say, "Well, it's the it's the triads uh, that are moving those uh, fentanyl into Mexico, or the criminal criminals in in, in China." There is no, there is no such thing as criminality coming out of China that that doesn't involve Chinese state. Absolutely right. So, like uh, for example, when the Hong Kong protest, the uh, protesters were on, the triads would fight for the Chinese state against the protesters. I mean, they were used, they were proxy groups. The argument could be made that uh, the new generation cartel holds a lot of interest uh, in the the ports of Mexico where some of these precursors come in. Uh, they've grown exponentially, even with the COVID epidemic, while other cartels like the Sinaloa cartel has shrunk a little bit. So the case could be made that one of these cartels is Chinese sponsored and the other one is American sponsored, if you think about it. So it could be uh, it could be a Vietnam type situation uh, just happening just across the border from the US. Well, that makes that makes total sense, Stu, because like China has interests all over the world. They're looking to expand, and um, you know, if the fentanyl's coming from China, they don't. It's not like they need the money from the fentanyl, you know. So it's it's probably because they want to fuck up the American medical system. It's a generational war, so uh, nuking each other might not be the best option. Uh, but uh, you talk about the modern siege warfare. You know, fentanyl pumped into a country might be part of that modern siege warfare. You know, uh, I don't know. It's it's it, it's a theory I have. Maybe maybe it's a wrong one, but uh, it seems to be uh, getting confirmed consistently with uh, with the, with the things that are happening. Well, it's one that I agree with you on, and I think is something that backs this up a bit is the uh, fast and the furious and the weapons going to the Sinaloa cartel. Yeah. So, can you tell listeners about what Fast and the Furious is and like your thoughts on it? So, I'll, I'll, I'll speak of it completely from my point of view when it happened. That will be honestly what what uh, what my opinion would even matter about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found out about Fast and the Furious uh, by watching CNN, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is pretty sad. Uh, a few of those guns killed a few of my friends. Uh, basically what happened is that all of a sudden we were seeing new out of the box, uh, the 50 cal Barrett, uh, rifles, uh, FN five, seven pistols, a bunch of civilian uh, grade AR 15s of all types that were modified to be uh, full auto 
somewhere in Mexico uh, with optics, with uh, just weird stuff. I mean, they were clearly uh, sourced from the U.S. And all of these guns were being uh, uh, pumped into a single cartel, which is Sinaloa cartel. And they were being utilized in different, uh, in different, uh, you know, multi, multiple murders and, and targeting uh, police and, and, and the police leadership across the border. Um, we didn't realize what, where they, I mean, it was just a phenomenon. We didn't realize where they, where they came from until later. Uh, we, we just saw this uptake in, in how many of these guns were just being left behind or used. And we were kind of scratching our heads as far as where they came from. I mean, we knew they came from the U.S., but like why all of a sudden there were a lot of them, right? Hmm. And uh, uh, later on, I was watching CNN and I started seeing this whole uncovering of the Fast and the Furious thing. And so I started connecting the dots. Um, on on the Mexican side, it was viewed as, and in and, and some of the circles that I that I used to work in, it was viewed as a, I mean, a complete betrayal uh, from the U.S. Uh, imagine Canada pumping in a bunch of guns in Chicago. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, and some some uh, it would it it would make for an international incident of some sort. It would. Uh, um, but uh, this Fast and the Furious thing happened during. You know the major part of the drug war uh, with uh, Felipe Calderon at the helm, and and the head of the police back then, or the national security, was a guy that is currently being processed for corruption charges. Apparently, he was taking money from the cartels. So, and this is the same man that was praised by the DEA and the FBI on the U.S. side as one of the top cops in Mexico. Oh. <laughs> wow! So. You start, you start kind of deconstructing all these things, and you know, I'm, I can't vote in the U.S. I'm, I'm on a green card. I can pay taxes, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh people, yeah. People, uh, people ask me about my politics and, and stuff like that. You know, I, I consider myself a, a conservative, but I'm glad as hell that I don't have to vote specifically in these elections, right? Because I don't, I, I wouldn't have an option, you know. A guy with mental issues and a guy that, uh, you know, probably, um, probably has said some pretty disparaging things about some of the people that I, uh, that, that I represent as far as where I'm from. Yeah. Um, but, uh, back then it was uh, the Obama administration was in power. And what we noticed, uh, immediately when the Obama administration came into power is that, uh, channels of communication shut down. Between uh, between the U.S. and and some uh, the U.S. guys and and some of the people that I used to work with in Mexico, so there was a weird silence that happened, and all of a sudden you saw the exponential growth of the Sinaloa cartel during the, administ the Obama administration. Now we can go into Alex Jones territory and talk about <laughs> conspiracy conspiracy theories, but it's it's clear to anybody anybody that analyzes this. That the uh, Sinaloa cartel can, uh, went through an exponential growth during the Obama administration. I'm not saying it's Obama's fault. I'm saying that something happened, and Fast and the Furious happened, and Eric Holder isn't in jail because of it, and he should be. Who's, that, who's Eric Holder? Sorry, Eric Holder was the uh, he was in charge of that operation. Okay, right? uh, and it's an operation that's it supposedly preceded him from the previous administration. Mm -hmm. From the uh, from the Bush administration, 
whatever, whatever, whoever preceded whatever. Uh, somebody that nobody's ever been held responsible, and it only it only came into light when the, when a few when a, when a, when, a, when an agent of the U.S. government was killed by one of those guns. Uh, and I, I, to, to this day, I've not you know I've not heard any of my friends' uh, names mentioned in some of these investigations that were killed with some of those guns. And you know, again, they they don't. They, they don't matter in the scheme of things when it comes to to, to the problems on the U.S. side. Uh, yeah. So they will, they will get mentioned. Uh, but if you analyze it, Sino Law Cartel went through an exponential growth during that administration. Mm. Uh, why? Who knows? Uh, uh, permissive drug policies uh, popping up in some places. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wish I, I wish I knew, but it's it's a true thing. So that was viewed with a lot of suspicions suspicion by the uh, by not only the Mexican government but also some of the some of the some of the people in Mexico viewed that whole thing, the debacle with a lot of suspicion. Right? Uh, they they were thinking that it was uh, that they wanted to cause the conditions for an armed inter- intervention in Mexico back then. That was kind of like the theory, right? All right. Uh, so who knows? You know what's fucking nuts, dude? Is if someone loses their fucking weapon in the military, all hell breaks loose. And then like, but then they'll go and give, was it 2,000 weapons away or something? I am going to put my tinfoil hat on for a moment. And I'm going to say that, you know, I don't know if you ever, if you're familiar with like the banana wars and that kind of thing that yeah. America, do, like when, when, a, when a country is getting on its feet, America will come and fucking kick the feet out from under you because, like, let's say, for instance, you've got the option of importing um, cheap goods, you know, because, like, a less developed country generally doesn't have good labor laws and that kind of thing, right? So let's say we're talking about the Philippines and you're going to import clothing and goods from the Philippines. That requires coming halfway around the world, whereas in Mexico, you can have a, what is it called, Maquil Doros? Yeah. You can have uh, these sweatshops an hour from the border or less, um, and you can have, you know, you you don't get that you don't get third world prices on your doorstep if you let the country develop to be a first world country. Um, and like, I don't think it's too much of a stretch of the imagination, given that given America's interfering in South and Central America, that they do this stuff to keep Mexico on its ass. Well, I mean, uh, I, I, I don't think it's in their best. It, it should be in their best interest interest to do that. Uh, but in, in a way, you know, uh, it's interesting living through the COVID epidemic and seeing one of the most anti, uh, anti-immigration policy presidencies we've ever had. And, uh, during the COVID epidemic, you know, who was an essential worker? Illegal immigrants working in the fields. Oh yeah. They were out there. They were out there, uh, do, doing, uh, putting, uh, putting, uh, lettuce into bags for, you know, people not to miss their, uh, you know, not not to feel supply chain being affected, and and uh, I don't know. I mean, I again, uh, I am glad that I had the opportunity to migrate to the U.S. I my options were extremely, extremely limited, um, and I've I've experienced uh, the fruits of living in in, in this country, and I, if. If I'm talking uh, in a disparaging way about some of its policies and stuff like that, it's because I care about mm-hmm. it and I want it to be better. Um, 
And uh, I have the perspective of what it could turn into, right? And I have the perspective of what true uh, failed states are, because I think Mexico, uh, even if even if even if it's going through this period of denial, it's it's a, it's completely a failed state. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's something I wanted to ask you, dude. If that's what you felt. And look, I want to say as well that I want to live in America. I love America. But like you, I think, you know, I'm sure you as a person hold yourself to a high standard. I do. I think America, America should do the same. I grew up on the idea of America by watching it on TV, by watching movies, by going out there, by meeting some Americans that have been highly influential. You know, I remember, I remember not having any, uh, any medical management training as far as combat medicine goes. Mm-hmm. And I you know, asked uh, some members of the U.S. government to help us out with uh, that type of training. And, uh, you know, some some people from the Marine Corps, some corpsmen, and a few other people that are more specialized in that field uh, came down and with a, with a, uh, with an into the unknown, with a bravery that I, you know, uh, I, I, won't, I will never forget, you know. And and that 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 idealism is amazing. Then I cross into the U.S. You know, make uh, I travel all over the country. Every weekend I'm I'm in a different state. So I was in Wisconsin the other the other weekend. You know, and then before that I I, I went to L.A. And in L.A. Um, uh, the the homeless uh, situation they have in L.A. is just and I'm Mexican. All right. The homeless situation they have in LA is just mind blowing. It's nuts. It's it's nuts. Uh, and then they, and then I, every now and then I get people harassing me about, hey Ed, how can you t- t- talk about the homeless population like that? And it's like, hey, you 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 you, sh- you don't know what poverty is. <laughs> and I say, no, wait, you don't know what poverty. You don't know what poverty is. We don't have overweight homeless people with smartphones in Mexico, <laughs> um, because that's because we poverty is way different. Now. It's real poverty. Um, uh, going to Seattle and uh, and seeing the ground littered with uh, syringes that I, in a way, paid for through taxes, mm. uh, filled with drugs that I saw, that I experienced uh, where they were grown in Mexico and saw the violence that was around filling those needles. And the government is paying for the receptacle to put that into your body. I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm nuts or I'm going nuts. <laughs> but I, I, see, I see how, it's how, how, how the U.S. is kind of corroding in some of, the, some of these points. Sure. Uh, and it's not a judgment call. It's a... Uh, it's a. It's like a, no. You're doing the same things that happened down south. Don't do this. You know, you're going. You're going the wrong way. You're screaming. You're, I'm. I'm screaming like a madman. You're going the wrong way. Um. And uh, it's such. It's it's such an interesting time in, in the history of the country is how how uh, how divided we are. Mm. It's a it's a momentous moment for sure, dude. I feel the same way. I feel like I'm looking at a car crash in slow motion. Um, I've, you know, I've spent, you know, history's always been my thing. Um, and obviously, you know, I've been to a lot of third world countries, a lot of war zones. And, um, I see, I'm seeing right now, I'm like, cause this is one of the things I think is we live in an instant gratification age where people think 
just because something ha- isn't happening right now, it doesn't matter. And I keep talking to people like 2020 is going to be influential for 2050. You know, so what happens now? Yeah, it might not affect your life in the next six months, 12 months, or even four years, but it's going to affect your kids. Yeah. And it's definitely going to affect your grandkids. Yeah. I mean, that, that whole affecting your kids part is, I think that's what pushes me into speaking about some of this type of stuff because I'm out again. I, you know, I have a family myself and I see my friends' families. And I remember being in California, uh, a few years back when the, the the last batch of legislation came through as far as restricting restricting uh, uh, firearms in California, right? Mm. And I remember being on uh, on a gun range. I you know I, I like to I like to shoot long range, and I carry a pretty uh, and I usually tend to gravitate towards the simpler firearms, so revolvers and bolt action, Mossberg, uh, scout rifles and stuff like that. So I get a kick out of seeing all the guys with the ARs, which is, you know, I don't know. I, I have never gotten the fascination with the air platform in the U S but you know, two weeks in a row. Well, you can put it. Yeah. Cause you can buy a lot of little, a little, like you can trick them out, isn't it? I think it's like someone getting a car and putting a fucking spoiler on there and tinting the windows. Give me an FAN, FAL or a G3, man. Any day. Mm, I love the FN. I love FN. That, that, that's, that's what I would pick. But anyways, you see these guys and they're like, yeah, these laws are coming into play. We won't comply. And I like turn to them, you'll comply. <laughs> nah, we won't comply. Fuck that. Fuck it. It's, a, it's an infringement and we won't comply. And I turn, you'll comply. And it's, uh, sure enough, uh, laws passed and everybody was there with a rifle that you had to push a button on to be able to extract the magazine and add a weird stock. And I kept telling them, uh, Mexico has very strict gun laws. It has only one gun store. And basically, if you want a gun legally, you have to belong to a hunting organization, which means you have to be basically high middle class. You have to be able to afford a ticket to fly to Mexico City to buy your gun, again, high middle class. And uh, you're restricted to the types of calibers you, you can get. So, uh, you, and look at, <laughs> look at Mexico. You know, yeah. I, I'm not saying Mexico is a product of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of the restricted gun laws, but it would help, you know, it would help. Hmm. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. The Americans, uh, at least, at least, at least in, in some parts are just letting go of those rights. And I know gun laws are, are a tricky thing. And, and I, I get the, the, both sides of the, uh, of the, uh, of the argument when it comes to gun law. Uh, but when it comes to the U S when it comes to the U.S., I think the genie's out of the bottle. Well, what is it, like 900 million weapons? <laughs> you know, I think yeah, it's, it's definitely yeah. out of the bottle for sure, dude. It's nuts. I, I've, I've been shown private uh, private collections of arms and stuff like that in the U.S., and it blows my mind. I mean, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've, I've gone through cartel arsenals and seen some safe house arsenals and shit like that in, in Mexico, and, and I was like... Do you have the gun of Rambo? Yeah, there's there's a gun of Rambo, right? Uh, I get it. I get the fascination. Uh, I also get the. Uh, uh, I think uh, on my side, I get the I get the responsibility behind it more than some of these some of these guys. A lot of them, a lot of them view firearms ownership as a recreational thing or for hunting. Yeah. Uh, I view it as a somebody knocks on my door and tries to take uh, take one of my daughters out for a cartel party. 
I want to be able to shoot the fuck out of him and the people are outside waiting for him. Um, that's a different mindset, you know? It's a tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. Yeah. And this is the thing, like, you know what's interesting is, like, I had friends who were very, because, you know, I'm from Britain, we don't have guns out here, and honestly, the chances of someone turning up on my doorstep with a with a, a gun is very unlikely. Um, so, you know, you can make the argument that they're not needed here. I'd still like to own one, honestly, because if someone turns up with a knife, I'd rather shoot him than have to fucking take the knife off him. The ability to protect yourself and, the, and your loved ones and having the means to do so should be an internationally protected human right. All of us... I, I agree. All of us should push uh, push forth that, uh, you know, the, the you know that uh, policy at an international level. It's, you know, but it's just not the case. The uh, UK is pretty interesting when it comes to, you know, a lot of people get stabbed. Uh, I told told a friend of mine, if you're going to go out there and he says, well, what should I carry for self-defense? Like, well, you can't carry a knife, probably carry a magnet with a string on it. And just any park park you walk into, uh, you'll you'll usually find a knife buried in the ground somewhere. And he said, like, I'll try it. And he went there. It's like, yeah, it was it was it was pretty amazing how many knives he found. Really? Just with a magnet. Yeah. uh, Inside the planners. I think he went, yeah, he went to, uh, I think London. And he said that the, the planners and in, in some of the parts, knives are buried in the ground, right? And it's, uh, uh, you know, that's usually, if, if, if things are not permitted, you know, just like, uh, Jurassic Park, you know, nature finds a way, humans find a way to stab each other in the ass, right? Oh, yeah. So all it takes is just some imagination. You know, we'll find a way. I don't get involved in this, you know, I used to be growing up, I used to think it's the right thing to do to try and break a fight up and that kind of thing. When I'm in London now, if someone's fighting, then fuck them. They just, it's not my problem now. And it's not how I want to live my life. I don't want to live my life that way, but well, you know, what's the option? I get fucking nicked and I'm dead. Yeah. You know, fuck it. Like, fuck it. I'm, can't, I can't, can't get involved in that. Cause the other problem is here, cause you see the fight and you think, right, if I come in here now and I just fucking, I, I overwhelm this person from behind, you know, that's like you, there's a, a safish way of doing it. But then if you do that, you run the risk of getting sent to prison. Yeah. So you can't, so you can't like your only option is to try and kind of tread gently. And then if someone, if someone decides to stab you, you're fucked. So I just don't get involved. I, uh, I do a, I do a series of classes all over the U S called the uh, weaponology classes. Right. And these are focused on people that don't have the, the means to, to protect themselves and their families. Uh, and they travel internationally, uh, or they live in a non-permissive area like California, and people want to have the use of tools. So I go over a historical account of how other parts of the world have, you know, um, basically picked weapons that are non-conventional, right? And one of the things that most people are surprised as far as what I, what I show them is how simple it is and how you know, uh, a few examples of, of things that blow their mind. Uh, you know what the AK-47 of the knife world is? Cool. It's not an Emerson knife. It's not a Benchmade. It's not a Karambit. It's not a tactical skull knife of any kind. It's a cheap Chinese-made kitchen knife. Mm. It's a single company in China makes this knife, sells it across the world under different names. Uh, but it's a, it's a simple plastic-handled knife. That has killed more people when it comes to knives than any other knife out there. So you don't need a lot in, invested in the tool to do it. Yeah. Now you move forward. Most of the people that have killed uh, other people with knives are not uh, gurus, 
are not Tuhans, are not master level knife fighting or knife karate guys, are not, uh, didn't spend uh, a lot of money on a six DVD set uh, of knife <laughs> fighting, right? Uh, they are people that have the means, the opportunity, and the motive and the intention to kill somebody with a point and object, and they kill them, right? Uh, and then you talk to some of these people and, and, and you talk to some of the trauma, uh, trauma docs and people that work in the ERs. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I do a series of videos that I show them of stabbing, uh, of stabbings that occur really fast and it's a single stab right to the heart. Mm. Uh, and that, that doesn't sell in a dojo. I can't go and open a dojo up and say, I'm going to show you how to stab somebody in the heart. And that's all you need to kill somebody. Because that won't sell, but that's what happens. Hey, I'm going to show you how to stab somebody in the femoral and pick them up by that knife. So it's harder to put a tourniquet on there, even a junctional one. So they bleed out fast. That doesn't sell. It's uh, hard to sell a class on uh, stabbing somebody in the subclavian and the left one because that's a bigger target. What's that? Was the subclavian? Yeah, subclavian or subclavian artery. Um, and so, or, that if you stab somebody in the heart, you just punch them a few times in the chest after you do it, so it accelerates their bleed time. Oh. So they die really fast. Damn. And that shit, that, all of that is, people get like freaked out, Ed, uh, why are you talking about this openly? This is in the open. This criminals do this all the time. So we don't live in a day and age when you had to go uh, sit around a campfire and dance with machetes and, and, and put your foot on a rock and said, one one day I, I killed this guy with this dragon dragon technique. Uh, those days are gone. Now all you have to do is turn on your phone and go on live leaks and see how some of these things you know occur, right? Yeah, I think people have a natural um, instinct on how to kill people as well. People like you know like the same way that you'll hear a story about a mum lifting a car off of kids in an accident. Like people would find a way to kill people. If you get people get pissed off, you know people. People, people fucking kill people. Like, I think a lot of the times, you know, especially in countries like the UK, it's people just get in a fight. They're not trying to kill each other most of the time. They don't re realize how easy you can, can kill someone sometimes. We like to think about it as a, there's three fights in people's lives. You know, the first fight is showing up to train. That's, that's, that, that separates most of us uh, from the general population, right? So... The first fight is convincing yourself you need any sort of training or specialty training of any kind. Uh, the second fight is actually being in that fight for your life. And the third one is what happens after. Out of the three, the first one is the one that most people don't want to cross. Uh, they don't want to go and learn how to apply a tourniquet. They don't want to go and learn how to drive a car in a defensive manner. They want to go and just focus on a single thing. So every now and then I encounter people that uh, spend Thousands of dollars a year going to a range and shooting paper targets and steel targets and moving and running and gunning. And then all of a sudden they show up to one of the medical classes we provide and uh, they don't know how to manipulate a tourniquet or a guy comes out of nowhere with a phone camera and starts recording them as they're doing a simulated uh, chest deal on somebody or a blood sweep. And they don't know how to handle it. Instead of being paper in front of them or a, uh, or a gelatin cube, to pack the wound. Uh, sometimes we have a pig, right? Uh, we bring in a dead pig and uh, they have to, they, they have to pack a wound on it. Uh, they have to, they have to clamp a bleeding uh, artery on it that we simulate. 
and they they get put off by the smell mm. you know they get put off by the smell and i'm like what, what's going on oh, some of these guys kind of puke on the ground a little bit now it's fine it's like hey what's going on oh the smell is it's worried well when a human gets shot in the uh, in the gut uh, track you'll smell that before you see it um and it's a good idea to learn about this now instead of later uh it's it's an interesting place where a lot of people a lot of people live uh, in the realm of uh, the simulated realm where you shoot somebody once and they fall to the ground. Um, you, you people 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 will die really quickly, or or you can apply a tourniquet to somebody and it'll save them, like uh, 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 like like if you were in a movie. You know, the truth is the, the truth is that life is way more chaotic than that and life stinks way more than that uh, you'll get dirtier more than that and uh, there's there's some things that are completely uncomfortable and unknown to us well that that's one of my theories I don't know about what you guys are like over there but as British soldiers, we can be quite disgusting in the behavior that we uh, do to each other, pissing on each other and all everything like that and I, I think one of the reasons why that's kind of been in the military is because uh, wounds are wounds are gross, yeah. And um, the first time you get your mates shit on you shouldn't be when you when you're trying to save his life. Um, I wanted to. I, I, you you brought up one of my pet hates is it, which is people going shooting that have not learned the basics of first aid. Like that's something about America, like American gun ownership that scares the shit out of me. Is people have got like I had a friend come down our stairs once with an AR. And I'm like, I know this guy doesn't even know how to slap a field dressing on or let, let alone, you know, like, he doesn't even know how to put pressure onto a wound or anything like that. And this guy's got an AR-15. That's something that really bothers me about gun ownership. Like, I'm, I'm massively pro-gun ownership. I think everyone should have the right, like you do. But I'm also massively against people not putting medical training in before gun ownership. Like, you've got to put the fucking horse before the car. I, I, th- I think the, uh, the, 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 what escapes most people is that they view it as a right but not a responsibility. That's great. If you want to learn how to, how to manipulate a firearm to shoot somebody and, or have a firearm for self-defense or home defense or whatever you want, the odds are that you're probably going to be in the odds are more in the favor that you might be involved in the shooting than not. And usually when guns are in the environment, people get shot. That's like the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do some of these medical classes uh, with a guy who's a, a cross trained 18 Delta flight medic, dive medic, SF medic and current trauma, uh, trauma surgeon. Um, he's one of the guys that went down to Mexico and actually trained our guys back back in the day. Interesting guy, a lot of experience. And uh, when he went down to Mexico to show us some of these things, I'd never even seen a tourniquet. And we're talking about 2004, 2005 era. I'd never even seen a tourniquet. And we were some of the first guys that, that carried tour- tourniquets operationally out there. I mean, I remember getting scalded by a guy in, in a hospital, a doctor in a hospital, uh, because I put a tourniquet on a guy, and he said, "That's how you lose limbs." <laughs> well, you know, so <laughs> do we used to get told the same fucking bullshit? Yeah, I mean, is he dead? It's like, all oh, right, right. I'll just bleed to death instead. Thanks for saving my leg. <laughs> you know, you're welcome for my service or whatever, right? Uh, but he, he, you know, he showed us not only, uh, you know, how to how to provide some of this uh, some of this uh, field care. Uh, but also how to provide some long-term field care because a lot of the places we were working in uh, were pretty low on 
uh, adequate facilities and we didn't have a lot of helicopters to move us around. So we had to, uh, our golden hour was more like a golden day, mm, right? Yeah. So we had to figure some of these things out. Uh, he not only provided us with the know-how, he also provided us with some of the tools and uh, quickly learned that, you know, we didn't have Amazon Prime back then. We didn't have a, you know, our equipment was pretty rush, uh, harsh. So, you know, Halo, um, Halo chest steels weren't available, so we used uh, glue mousetraps. Uh, we didn't have any tourniquets. We, we didn't have enough tourniquets, so we used ratchet straps. Uh, we didn't have uh, adequate irrigation uh, for wounds, so we just uh, put one of these uh, iodine wipes in a, a water bottle and poked a few holes in there to irrigate a wound, that type of stuff. Uh, surprisingly, you know, go, go back to the, go into the U.S., are doing some of this training and start seeing some of these things being shown. And America's minds are blown with some of the austere levels of this uh, medicine. I was like, that's, that's what we used to do. And you showed us this shit, you know, this is an American thing. And somehow, you know, it gets lost, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird phenomenon seeing it, seeing it being shown openly in these, in the States when it's something that we learned from American sources and, uh, and then seeing how some of this stuff is like unknown uh, to, to some of the public, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's something that needs to be taught in schools. And I know te- I know techniques change, but better to better to know a ten year out of date technique than no fucking technique at all. Uh, it, it it should be basic knowledge, and uh, um, you know it's it's sad that it should be basic knowledge, but uh, it's life. Like we, everyone's, everyone's like, I know people, um, I know someone who was like, one of their friends died because they fell through a shower screen and cut themselves and bled to death. Yeah. Like, you know, because that you see, dude, you see these videos, but like these videos are like, people are just, they go full on panic yeah. because they've never even seen it. Like they don't know what to expect and, and then people die. Yeah. There's a part of the class that I have, I do a, a counter custody class, which involves restraints and, and, and zip ties and handcuffs, right? But uh, before I go through all that, I tell them about chemical restraints. And I've seen people at high levels of the military, high levels of government, federal government, that get surprised by this portion of the class. Uh, everybody wants to know how to pick handcuffs and stuff like that. But I go, I go through chemical restraints, uh, ruhypnol, uh, heroin, um, uh, all these, all these, um, all these, uh, all these ways that some criminal groups use to basically put you out and how to counteract some of these, right? And some of these, uh, some of the ways you counteract these, uh, these things are come from my training with some, some of the people that I, that I train with on the medical side of the profession. Uh, but they're, but they're things that you won't necessarily need to use in, just in case you were abducted by cartel guys. Mm. There's something that you could actually apply when you're maybe in Cabo with your family or your friends and somebody gets a roofied in, in, in the situation. Or you could be in the U.S. and this happens. It's kind of, it should be basic knowledge that you could show your teenage daughter, your teenage son, uh, so they could have it. And this is a, this is a life, uh, life skill, right? And I find it fascinating that it's, so exotic to them even at high levels they see it like i've never saw i've never seen anybody talk about this yeah. and i've been through level c or c training or whatever uh, well i tell them well well it's this this we talk about it or i talk about it because i've experienced it one 
too. I know it's a, I know it's a real thing, not just in in Mexico, but also in the U.S. And uh, and you know when you travel out there, uh, you want to have all, all you want to have a basic uh, running knowledge of this type of stuff because it could be uh, as simple as going out with your friends and meeting an American out there that you think is your friend. And you're worried about cartel guys showing up, and all of a sudden this fucking creep, creepy American dude just uh, drugs one of your friends. Yeah. And now, what do you do? Do you drive her to the hospital? Where's the hospital? Is it a is it a private hospital? Is is there a hospital here? Is it going to be just a nurse on call at night? Uh, do you know how to flush somebody? Uh, do you carry do you carry a Narcan a spray on you? And first, can you recognize what type of drug was used? That type of stuff is pretty interesting, and again, the, I, I think I find it sad that it, that it's an exotic skill because it's so common. Well, how many people lock hotel doors? You know, like just be, max like basics like that, like not putting your chain on a hotel door. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of basics. I want to actually this kind of ties into something that I really wanted to talk to you about, which was uh, sex trafficking. Okay. Um, it's obviously getting a lot of um, attention at the moment, and um, what I've read—correct me if I'm wrong—is that under the car, or like under this kind of the drug war and the raised level of violence, the the level of trafficking has gone through the roof. And um, is that is that is that fair to say? So the the, the chaotic nature of this, the situation in Mexico gets utilized for a lot of creepy shit to happen under the noses of all the people involved. So they hide within the the chaos. So yes, it's it's a uh, sex uh, sex trafficking and trafficking of people and organs. And even if people oh, uh, don't 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 know don't kind of like uh, talk about that that much, uh, is a thing, and it's a thing that's been happening for years. Um, you know, again, we can go into Alex Jones territory, and I can, <laughs> I can theor- theorize about uh, some of the weird stuff that I saw in the killing fields in Juarez, uh, as far as how many people died, uh, how many women were found dead in that desert, uh, and, uh, how things were missing on some of them. Um, but it's, so Mexico is a very chaotic environment. 90% of all murders, if not more, never get solved. So just think about that. Also, uh, there's, I, I don't remember the exact numbers as far as missing persons, but there's thousands of missing people. Thousands. I mean, right. thousands. There's whole organizations of, of family members of missing people that are just, uh, every time they find a new mass grave, they go out there and do the DNA swab to try and figure out if it's family member of them. And also Mexico is one of those places where, you know, getting rid of bodies has, has become an industrial level thing. So, when it comes to sex trafficking and people getting trafficked, I mean, Mexico is a pretty interesting place. It's a, it's a, it's in a way, it's an, it's a university in a way. I've, I've noticed a lot of the stuff that I used to see in Mexico, maybe 10 years ago, being replicated in places like Arizona, Texas, uh, and by some people that basically don't learn their craft in Mexico. Um, it's a very real threat. You know, it's a very real threat. I know some people, kind of equated to some sort of conspiracy theory or it's not that bad. Uh, but I've been involved in a few, a few cases where, you know, people get taken uh, on the American side and end up somewhere on the Mexican side or 
uh, or just uh, teenage uh, kids being targeted through their social media. You know, if, if anything, you know, I, I tell parents, uh, be very careful. That, that social media is a window into your kids' lives. And it's also a window that uh, you never know who's on the other end of it. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's a dangerous and a very real thing. And it makes a lot of people a lot of money. So we talk in that sense. Was it kidnap? Is the motive behind a lot of, on the like on the U.S. side of the border? That's it's uh, yeah. I mean, sex it's uh, used for sexual, uh, sexual prostitution type things. Uh, mm. uh, usually, some of the some of the uh, some of some of the cases that I worked on would always utilize a woman as a point of contact. So let's say the teenage guy, your 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 sixteen year old. Uh, was online. He met and she would meet uh, somebody online, a, a fellow girl that was in, into whatever uh, band that the other girl was a part of, like same age, you know, basically somebody that went through the trafficking situation themselves and now is being groomed as a recruiter. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's go out uh, tomorrow. And they go out, the, the, the two new friends go out and then there's these dudes show up and then she's in a van. And then she's yeah, four or five states away. And are these at-risk kids from like broken homes, that kind of thing, like drug addict parents, and all these could they could be any anyone? Anybody that doesn't have a, a solid relationship with their parents and doesn't doesn't have a line of communication is is uh, is free game basically. But I, I've I've not seen kind of really distinct lines as far as them targeting poor uh, poor broken home uh, individuals. I mean, I've seen all kinds. Basically, you know, they target anybody that uh, is struggling with, uh, you know, just having friends maybe or, or struggling with uh, being acknowledged. You know, these, these a lot of these people, a lot of these pips, a lot of these uh, people that traffic other people are aware of all these faults because they have it themselves. And all of them went through a grooming process or, or, or a process that is similar as far as how they got into it. Mm-hmm. So it's... Uh, it's easy to see how easy it is for them because they went through them themselves a lot of ways. And a, lo- a lot of these people that go missing and stuff in Mexico, presumably there's a lot of them that come up from um, South America that they're trying to migrate up to America. Yeah. Um, and uh, undocumented, you know, they're easy prey. Yeah, or uh, people people that get trafficked into the U.S. Uh, under uh, a debt. So the, the family owes a debt on them so they get utilized for labor right. right and labor could be sexual labor uh it could be a lot of things or you know again women coming from mexico trying to cross the border uh and you have these groups of people that are recruiting or selecting people that want to cross the border on the cartel side and they get dragged into sexual slavery on the mexican side um that that's a that's a common thing as well and uh you know the whole organ harvesting thing, which is viewed by many, by many as a uh, as a conspiracy theory, as a myth, uh, it's a very much a real thing in Mexico. I worked on at least two cases that I that that uh, that I am sure uh, were organ harvesting related uh, down south. Uh, it's a very real thing. You know, people are getting targeted for their organs. And I don't see why that's such a conspiracy theory because it's, uh, every market is supply and demand, and there's a supply for organs. So why wouldn't there be a demand? Well, uh, well, you know, there, there's a 
Oh, sorry, demand for organs. So why wouldn't it be supply? Yeah. I mean, the, the Mexico is a, is a uh, place where anything goes. Um, also, you see a lot of serial. There's act. Mexico has a has a lot of active serial killers, hmm. and it doesn't have a scientific police force to deal with. So, a lot of the murders you will also see compiled up over the ones that you could assume were related to cartel activity are actually related to predators out there doing their thing and dumping their bodies in this much the same way as the cartels do. Sure. So they hide within that, the violence that is already in the environment. That's a lot of things that's happening as well. Uh, many cases of uh, fem- fe- feminicides, as they call them in Mexico, basically targeted killings of women, right? And so it's a big thing in Mexico. And a lot of this is, is basically pe- people taking advantage of the chaotic the nature of the environment and just doing uh, whatever deviancy they do uh, and hiding it within the uh, scope of the violence, the cartel violence. So you mentioned, um, you, you know, women suffer a lot at the hands of kind of cartels. But what about, are there prominent female figures within the cartels themselves? Uh, yeah, at all levels. Uh from from sicarios, uh, sicarios basically you know hired killers. Uh, a lot of women get utilized for that. Uh, transporting and moving drugs uh, across the border, a lot of women get used by that, for that as well. Because you know, who would expect a woman uh, in positions of leadership? Uh, sometimes what happens is uh, the the women in, in, in a cartel's uh, leadership cell get used as an, as uh, as admins or as administrators, and then the husband gets arrested or the boyfriend gets arrested, and they you know they know everything, so they just shift into positions of uh, leadership. Mm. You know, many many uh, many cartel uh, famous cartel heads have been uh, females in, in in Mexico. It's a, it's a it's an interesting phenomenon. Though. Whole machismo thing doesn't work in the circles that they operated in because they'll kill you if you don't respect them. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, females get utilized a lot. Uh, it's a uh, you know equal op- opportunity you know employer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I you know I see like um there seem to be you know whenever I come across you know like the because when when I'm looking on for sources in this there's not much in the mainstream media like so you know you go to like blogs and things like that and the folk you know they usually come with photos of the violence and i told i was like fuck there's a lot of women in these in these photos like and in, in amongst the bodies and um and then there was one i saw recently i forget her name now but she was apparently some quite famous you know she like you know like you get these ass models on instagram she was almost like doing that but then she'd have like a gold ak-47 and she i forget what her name was but it almost had that sense. Sorry. Yeah, she was probably the the, the former girlfriend or wife of this guy that uh, recently got killed, uh, El Chino Antrax. He's a uh, uh, Sinaloa cartel assassin that was uh, arrested uh, by U.S. authorities and let go because uh, for house arrest in in San Diego and then escaped. You know. <laughs> um, the, he had a girlfriend that uh, they, they would call her the, the, the queen and uh, she basically was famous for her Instagram account she would post pictures of her probably operated but probably operated nose and probably operated everything and uh, <laughs> you know, she would pose for some of these uh, with some of these guns and people armed around her and stuff like that 
Yeah, that's 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 the difference between some of the Sinaloa cartel stuff and some of the other cartels out, uh, out there. You know, the uh, Sinaloa cartel is pretty flashy with their lifestyle. Not so much uh, that new generation cartel that's going to coming up. So while we're on the subject of Instagram, uh, I know you, um, like I am myself, are the subject of frequent shadow bans. <laughs> what do you think is the purpose? What, what do you think is the purpose behind that? Do you think there's anything nefarious about it, or is it just like, well, good intentions executed poorly? Uh, you know, I, w- I would say, you know what, uh, I I follow guidelines pretty closely because that 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 account is actually, you know, that's part of my livelihood. Uh, so I follow I, I follow a lot of these uh, guidelines pretty closely. I, I don't post anything graphic of a graphic nature. Uh, I don't go racial in any way, shape, or form. I don't insult people with uh, bad language or anything like that. Uh, uh, but uh, consistently, I'm being shadow banned. Uh, and usually it is, like, it, usually some of the posts that get taken down are related to some of the news articles that I post or some of the, some of the field reports that I post up. Uh, a lot of the times it's because they say that I am promoting uh, dangerous groups by talking about them, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's one way that I've been uh, targeted for deletion, as far as some of the posts that I that I have that I have up, which I think is pretty much bullshit. Yeah. Um, other times, uh, other times, some of the posts that I've have ta- had taken down were mean posts that realistically shouldn't. Uh, like one of them was about. Uh, I remember exactly it was it was a stupid uh it was a stupid meme basically it didn't it wasn't even insulting or anything like that it was about okay it was something covid related about the, about masks mm. oh well there you go there you go if it's covid related you're fucked it was taken out within the span of a few a few seconds yeah i think there is i think there is definitely censorship uh going on on social media i think a lot of the censorship is biased in a lot of ways uh and anything that smells of uh news reporting about talking about pretty real things that not a lot of people are talking about any hint of a conservative slant on things anything related to guns anything related to some of the tactical training of any kind all that shit is getting banned off uh, or shadow banned on, on, on instagram I think there's definitely a bias going on there. Yeah, I think I think you're right, mate. Like, because I I tested it out, but I stopped posting on COVID-related stuff for a couple of weeks, uh, and my numbers went back up. And then I put one post on about COVID, and I've never told people to not do anything. All, and I've never said that it's not real. All I've ever said is to question the narrative. Yeah. And within an hour, within an hour, I can guarantee all my story, my story views, and my reaches capped again within an hour. Yeah, I mean, I've. Been- I've had a single paid promotional post uh, in my whole Instagram history, a single one. And I did it just to see if I could get out of the shadow band by doing it. Hmm. And uh, no, <laughs> it didn't work. Uh, but uh, most of my growth on Instagram has been word of mouth. And uh, some of it, of course, going on that uh, a few podcasts, the big ones are getting a shout out, helped a shit done. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely. And I and I've noticed this by seeing other people's uh, other people around the same kind of community that I work in, how they get shadow banned by doing something as simple as posting up a flag, 
like a flag, oh. a U.S. flag, a U.S. flag with some keyword in there that, that they don't like. Patriotism, you know? probably. Um, and they get, yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember posting a picture of a wound I had on my hand. It was a small cut I had on the palm of my hand, and I was talking about how some uh, geometry on on knife handles is pretty shitty and they fuck up your hands. Uh, no bad language used. That's basically a cut on my hand, and it got blurred out and censored. Right, so people sent a picture of it to me, and I was like, "Wow, that got censored!" I got I, I posted way worse shit than that. So I took that same picture, and I put it in the middle of a of the painting of a unicorn <laughs> uh, galloping over in a field, and that didn't get censored. So I mean, I, 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 the the algorithms and all this this stuff is very biased i think and, and, and i think it, it is it is very biased and slanted in a way um, i was going to say you have a very dry sense of humor about things that comes through on your posts you know so it's like you can um it, it's hard to see how anybody could take offense at those things because like you've ne- you're never laying into anybody you're just putting it out you know putting it out there um and for somebody to take offense at like we're not talking about a video where you've cut things together to make it seem like it's just like here's some footage of something going down. Yeah, um, I, and the humor part of it comes from trying to. Uh, it's a defensive mechanism. You know, most of the most of the people that I've uh, met that have gone through horrible shit usually have a wicked sense of humor. Because it's, a, <laughs> it's a highly that's a highly developed uh, defensive mechanism that some of us have. Uh, and I, and I try to be, you know, sensible to people and, and I try to engage with people in the comments as well, answer questions and stuff like that. I view it as a service on my, uh, as far as my, on my end, as far as one of the things that I consistently see in my comments is why isn't this on mainstream media or why, why is there nothing like uh, uh, about this in the news? And that that is a question that I still don't, uh, you know, I, I still I still haven't been able to answer. And uh, maybe it's because COVID has uh, taken over the, the, the news cycle. And maybe it's because uh, traditional media is pretty much bullshit and on its way out. And this is where we're, we're experiencing the uh, kicking and screaming uh, of it uh, into the void, maybe. Mm. Uh, but. Uh, I work uh, closely with a with a uh, Instagram account called uh, Demoler, who is basically taking uh, like legit straight from the source reporting of the goings on going ons in Mexico, and we collaborate on some of these things. We you know, go back and forth as far as uh, some of the sources and you know what to concentrate on and stuff like that. And I share some of those posts on my Instagram account and. I, I mean, I, 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 the minds being blown by uh, of Americans that don't know about some of the stuff going on yeah. uh, right across their border or sometimes within the border, yeah. uh, and 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 seeing how they're like, so why don't we know anything about? It? It's like, well, I'm, I'm I'm trying, right? I'm trying, even though I am shadow banned. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's what's so nuts about it is because, like you're saying, okay, the COVID thing. That's 2020. Drug wars being. What when did the drug war start? 2006 was it? The when is the Calderon? Yeah, kicked off. Yeah. You know, so we're talking 14 years ago. Like you think there would have been a a bit of. Do uh, you think there would have been a bit of time to mention the failed state that's next door to San Diego? You know, that's that's fucking nuts, dude. I wanted to ask you as well. Like, what's it like going on Joe Rogan? Because um, 
you know, you seem cool as a cucumber when you're on there, but when you know you've got millions of people listening, is that like a weird experience? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it's it, it was pretty surreal. Uh, he's cool as shit. Like what you see is what you get with him. Um, he he was he actually followed the page, <laughs> unbeknownst to me. Uh, he followed the page, and uh, um, a lot of people think that uh, this publicist reached out or some sort of sick thought. He DM'd me directly. Hey, you want to be on the show? It's like, sure. <laughs> That's sick. That's so sick. Sure. Uh, he was, he, he was, uh, got there. Amazing guy. Sh- shook his hand. Um, um, uh, just a mind blowing, uh, situation and just went in there and, and had this conversation. Uh, you don't feel it at all. I mean, you don't feel, you don't feel, you don't feel those millions of people until the next day in the comment section. That's when you feel, uh, did but, you check it out? Did you look in the comments? No, no, no. I mean, I, I some of a few friends, uh, told, told me about some of them. And, uh, so I, I, I thought, you know, probably not a good idea to go through them. Uh, yeah. but a, a lot of the comments, uh, positive uh, comments I got from actual Mexicans. It's a, that the interesting thing about this is, is uh, a lot of the support I got was from actual Mexicans. When I mean Mexicans, I mean people born in Mexico. Hmm. A lot of the uh, negativity I got from the, from Mexican Americans <laughs> who weren't born in Mexico, who have this idealized image of Mexico that doesn't exist at all oh, anymore. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, why don't you talk about the beautiful parts of Mexico?" Well, because one, I'm not a tourist uh, tourism <laughs> advocate. That's not what I got to see mostly, and I. I I'm here to share something that I don't think is being shared. You know, everybody knows that some of the beaches in Cabo are great. Everybody knows about Cancun, uh, but nobody knows about a guy in Tijuana who learned how to get rid of bodies by the Israelis who uh, uses caustic soda to, to this, to this member of bodies. Is that the suit maker? The... Yeah, that's the stew maker. I was actually, stew maker. I was actually there for his arrest. Oh, uh, Jesus. Uh, pretty creepy guy. He never killed anybody, though. Oh, uh, well, that's just, okay. <laughs> he, just, he, just, uh, he just got rid of bodies. That was his whole thing. Yeah. But, that, but the, the, most of the negativity I got was for talking about what's wrong, which I found fascinating. Also, I was being called that I was not a Mexican by people that weren't Mexican, which is pretty funny as well. You know, every now and then I, I, I see this whole kind of argument going on about uh, Mexicans against other Mexicans, like uh, this George Lopez guy. He's a comedian. Oh yeah. Uh, George Lopez is not a Mexican at all. Uh, he wasn't born in Mexico. He's a what we Mexicans call pochos, which is an American, second generation American, first generation American that can speak Spanish clearly, and that uh, didn't grow up in Mexico. That's we we, we basically. Uh, we basically disowned them, <laughs> right? right. So, so if he goes out of Mexico, we wouldn't recognize him as a Mexican. But for some reason, he's the mouthpiece of most Mexicans in the U.S. Louis C.K., the comedian, he was born he was born in Mexico. So technically, hmm. Louis C.K. is more Mexican than George Lopez. I think about that. Well, he's he's can, he's canceled. <laughs> ah, he's, he's, he's I mean, he's fine. You know, he's back. I think. I got, hey, dude, I got to be honest. I had no issue with what he did. I was like, fuck, if he's going down for that, then I'm fucking like, I'm, I'm glad I'm not famous because I'd be toast 10 times over. But, you know, dude, it's, it's, it's not so because like what you were saying there just like struck a chord to me because, um, 
I get the same by people a lot of times too. They're like, why are you so negative? And I'm not negative, bro. I fucking love life. I hope I have a long life. I fucking, I, I love it. But I hold people to high standards. I hold myself to a high standard. And, you know, I, the reason I post things about I do, like I do is because like, like you have, I've been to places and seen the worst of humanity. And therefore I feel like I have an obligation to try and promote the best of humanity, but making people aware about what can go wrong. You know, because if you just say to someone, hey, you better not lose weight and never never give them a reason why, then they're going to say, well, you know what? A cheeseburger is delicious. I'm going to eat the cheeseburger. So if you don't tell people like what's at the end of the road, if they don't protect free speech and if they don't protect individual rights, then they're not going to see a reason to, to do so. And it's very like it's it's almost like people don't want you to burst their bubble. It's like, well, I'm sorry, bro, but this is the world. There's a quote that I forget who said it, but it's a pretty interesting quote. Enlightenment is a destructive process. It's not about feeling better. It's not about, uh, you know, um, just feeling good. It's a destructive process. It's the crumbling away of untruth. And that process makes some of us grumpy as shit. <laughs> and also it makes us uh, enjoy the things that the protected will never know uh, in a different way. Uh, mm-hmm. I... I when I travel, I, I have these classes every weekend. And uh, this weekend was this past weekend was in Wisconsin, the land of cheese, pretty good string cheese out there, and, uh, and a beer called Spotted Cow. You know, it's one of those some of those gems that I find in the road. Hmm. Um, after the class, uh, they said, yeah, so, so yeah, so thank you for the class. It was amazing, awesome. Uh, but I hope to see you next time that you're out here." And I'm like, "So we're not going out drinking?" <laughs> It's like I, I mean, if if you want, we can go out. It's like, yeah, let's go fucking out yeah, drinking. Yeah. I just, I just, I just spend a few a few hours with you guys showing you how to do all these weird, horrible things. Let's just go out and you know have some margaritas and talk about uh, things that are funny and unrelated to this to decompress. Yeah, uh, they said, you know, that's some one of the guys said. Well, we've had a few people out here for training, and they usually don't do this. They just stop the class and leave. And I say, well, they probably don't have any issues. And I have a shit ton of issues that I could talk about with you. Mm. <laughs> I could humanize myself uh, with a few margaritas. You know, we'll go to a karaoke bar and you can see me sing some ranchero music and, and cry about uh, lost loves and broken hearts. Uh, I tell them, like, uh, m- most, uh, I, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Like, I, I went through the whole sh- shit and I'm not exceptional in any way. Uh, I don't wake up at four in the morning uh, and do kettlebell workouts and sweat my ass off. <laughs> uh, I don't uh, eat uh, lettuce and, 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 and uh, organically source the meat out there. I, uh, I, I try and work out. Like my body's wrecked, completely wrecked uh, uh, after 12 years of doing retarded shit. Yep. Uh, I, I always tell people, I'm a cautionary tale. Don't be like me. I made a shit ton of mistakes. I talk about those mistakes consistently. I remember I do a class like I did this stupid shit, like that, that, that stupid shit. I always tell people, don't be like me. And aside from telling people, don't be like me, I also tell them, don't go down the route that my country is going down. So um, in a lot of ways, when uh, when I end a class and I go drink some of the margaritas, it's me with a bell ringing it, telling dude, wake up, you know? Mm. So there's some there's a sh- there's some shit in the horizon as far as your country, and there's also a lot of horrible shit out there in the world that you want to avoid if you can. But if you can't, 
this is how you kind of manage it. Absolutely, dude. I'll, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, there'd been a point where I was like, you know, I, I did Iraq, I did Afghanistan, and I thought, well, that's me. Like, war's over for me now. And then, like, recently, like, not just America, but just around the world, I started thinking, like, fuck, I'm 36 years old now. I might not be done with, I might not be done with this this stuff yet. We might, like, none of us, like, there's, there might be another round for everyone who was involved in Iraq, Afghanistan. There might be a third round that we have to go through. Uh, and I've started to change the way that I approach fitness and things now because I'm like, well, yeah, if it a, happens, I need to be ready. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm 37. Uh, I have a shit ton of issues, <laughs> but uh, I, I smell it in the air. There's something. There's something coming. Uh, and I, you know, those, those that can't do teach is, I think where, where I am at. I mean, but if somebody would trust me with a group of people, I would go out there in a heartbeat if, if that was a, that was an option. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I could, I, I could, I could, I could feel it in the, in the, uh, I could feel it in the world right now. Uh, no, I feel, feel the same way. 2021 is going to be an interesting ride if anything 2020 is like uh one of those uh one of those uh roller coaster rides where it's just like the log is slowly going up into that first drop mm-hmm. <laughs> and co- and uh, i i think uh, the economic depression that we're gonna feel into in 2021 might come with a uh another round of uh unpleasantness i i agree bro i think we're in, we're in act one of the movie right now we're seeing the characters we're getting introduced to the characters um and uh yeah we're, we're yet to see what's to come may i have a question that i need to know the answer of what is the karaoke song your go-to karaoke song then when you hit the karaoke bars uh i started a joke by the Bee Gees is my go-to karaoke song on, uh, as far as an English song. <laughs> oh, do you have a, what's, what's the, uh, what's the Spanish one of Mexico? Oh, uh, the Spanish one is, uh, a song by Luis Miguel called La Incondicional. Uh, it's about a, uh, a dude that, uh, strives, uh, to earn the love of a chick and goes into the army. And then, uh, when he comes out, the chick has another dude. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think uh, I think all of us that went into the, some sort of service will find solace in this uh, song. It's a it's a it tugs at the heartstrings. Yeah, I'm gonna check that out as soon as I get off now, um, mate. Thanks so much for coming on today, Bruce. I really appreciate. It. I've been looking forward to this one for a long time. So thank you so much. Wow, thank you guys for the awesome conversation um, and uh, and for the invitation, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to let everyone know where they can find you online. I'm going to tag you up um, and I'm going to give, uh, uh, actually, do you want to, do you want to give people the, um, the, the details about the or webinar that you're going to be running in September, but just before you, uh, before you shoot? Sure. Uh, the, I'm doing a, uh, a webinar in September. It's the first one of its kind that I've done. Uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, details and specifics of cartel occultism. Uh, symbology, um, some of the uh, some of the indicators that people carry with them as far as where they're from, what their beliefs are. I'm going to go into Santa Muerte, and then I'm going to the the cult uh, around Malverde, the basically the Mexican Robin Hood, hmm. and uh, some other more lesser known deities and cults out there that are part of the part and parcel of the underworld in Mexico and also in the U.S. 
Uh, I've actually, I actually went through initiation processes and stuff like that as far as all these uh, faiths myself to learn about them. Uh, I, I don't, I don't believe in anything but violence. Uh, so it's not that I believe in any of it. It's just that I, you know, the Masasha used to say, uh, know your enemy, know his sword. Mm. Um, uh, some of these things have a very deep power over some of the people that uh, follow and believe it. And it's a pretty good idea to learn a little bit about some of these, uh, uh, just for works. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. Ed, thanks for coming on, man. That was uh, that was that was a real, real special podcast. Um, I've always had an interest in um, in Mexico. I say always, the last kind of decade, and um, there's no one I think that has his finger more on the pulse um, than Ed. So that was a that was a really, really enjoyable conversation for me. Um, I say enjoyable. Obviously, a lot of stuff is pretty fucked up, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, Guys, if you want to support Ed, please head over to Ed's Manifesto. Give him a follow on there. Share his posts. Um, look, check out his uh, check out the course that he has coming up on there about the occult. Um, that looks super interesting. That's something that I think I might be having to get into myself. Um, just all I ask, guys, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend, bring a friend along. You know, let's let's keep the podcast growing and also let's give due props to our guests. Our guests have given up the time to be here. So let's make a post, spread the word so other people know about them. If they've got a book out, let's go and get the book. If they've got courses out, let's get on the courses. Let's support these guys as they've supported us. Uh, and while we're on the subject of support, I want to say thank you to the Royal British Legion. No British Legion, no podcast. Honestly, guys, they make this they make this happen. So if if you enjoy the podcast then please give a big thank you to the Royal British Legion. Um, and you can thank them by checking them out at rbl.org.uk. All they ask is that you head over there and have a look what they've got to give you. They're not trying to sell you anything. They're trying to give you stuff, literally. So if you're a veteran or veteran families, check them out at rbl.org.uk or at Royal British Legion on social media. Give their social media pages a follow so that you can be in the know about all kinds of things that they've got going on. Um, they're, I can't tell you how good they've been with us on this podcast, guys. Honestly, like, you know, it's, it, they contacted us when it came to getting this podcast off the ground. They really, really want to give you guys, um, they, they really want to give you guys uh, podcasts, content, uh, information, Not and not just for, they're not looking for anything out of it except that they want you guys to be happy, healthy, uh, and in a great position to succeed in life. It's, um, you know, they're really good people and um, I'm very, very glad that we can have them on the podcast and, and helping us out. Um, if you are a veteran and you are struggling, they are the people that you need to go to. If you are a veteran family, if you're worried about anybody in your family that's maybe going through a tough time, then check them out. And if you're going through a great time, because a lot of veterans are, if you're going through a great time, check them out anyway, because you never know when someone who's a friend of yours might be struggling or you never know when you might hit a bad time. So better to know this stuff up ahead of ahead of time than to wait until you um than to wait until you you need it, you know, because we all know what the situation is. Once you need it, you're never in the right position to to kind of look into these things. So get get ahead of the problem now. Check them out at Royal British Legion and rbl.org.uk. All right, guys. I'll catch you next time. Love you, bye. Yeah. Listen. Shout out, Teaser. You told me not to worry, and you wouldn't break my heart. You told me you were sorry 
and my whole world fell apart You said it's not my fault and yeah I've never done you wrong I'm grinding to a halt now I can see you're moving on I promised I'd get better and I told you things would change You keep me to the gutter yeah I'll never be the same I've gotta let you go now live your life and spread your wings And yeah you put on quite a show and pull the puffer strings And are you sure that you don't want me? Remember all the pain or maybe you should thank me It's your loss and my gain I'm leaving now forever I won't hang my head in shame But yeah you've taken me for granted and you should feel ashamed you sold a dream to all of us, a dream that we'd all die for A reason for us all to live and something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet or hold a newborn But no matter what I do, my hands remembering my rifle, yeah Life's hard, I know that, still wouldn't change shit I wouldn't go back, yeah, I wouldn't go back Feelings I hold back, memories fade, yeah They go fast, yeah, they go fast Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess, yeah, I suppose Good times to come and go, survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step, I guess